I will be reading Psalm 139, verses 1 through 16. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light above me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. If I praise you, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Amen. Well, Jeremy was really gracious to you all last week, and I know it was, uh, we seemed to get out here nice and early, and that was very nice, and that was kind of him. Um, but please do not make the mistake to think that I would be so nice. Um, <laughs> I have lots to say. Um, so, so please make yourself comfortable. And, uh, and, and I hope you can all hear me. That's the purpose of our sound enforcement, that you can hear me. I have a tendency to speak a little soft and mumbled. Growing up, this was a common problem, uh, argument that my dad and me had many a time when he would yell at me for mumbling and not being able to understand me. And of course, as a teenager, my only attitude was, well, what do you need to hear me for anyway? I'm not talking to you. Um, but so he's tried to help me to, to articulate better. Um, unfortunately, I married a Long Islander, so now I'm going to speak fast too is what I'm saying. <laughs> so this is going to go fast. I'm going to mumble a little bit, try to keep up if you can. I'm grateful for Pastor DJ being here the last two years. I know that with his accent being as heavy as it is, we've all learned how to pay close attention. <laughs> At least I have. I don't know about you. But it's amazing because, as, as most of you already know, but some of you might not, I grew up in South Africa. Um, that's where my family is from. We've been there for a very, very long time. As a matter of fact, my, uh, my family dates back to the, some of the original Netherlanders or uh, Dutch that, that moved down there back in the 1600s. 
So I am African fully, as much as you are an American, I am an African. Um, however, I do have American citizenship, and no, I didn't get it by marrying a Long Islander. Um, we went the long way, um, and, uh, and I do have American citizenship, so that is true too, that yes, I am an American and an African, that makes me an African-American. Um, and I know I'm the only one in this, ser in this service today that is, so... <laughs> but please do excuse my accent too if it comes out. I've done a good job at losing it, I feel. Um, I can hide it pretty well. But sometimes when I get a little tired or nervous, it comes out. Um, so it might come out a little bit today, because I'm both. <laughs> but growing up in South Africa is an interesting place to grow up. It's a beautiful place to grow up. I was grateful for it, not then, but now. <laughs> in retrospect, I realized that I was blessed to be able to live in that country for the time that I did. Now I'm very blessed to live in America and have no desire to ever live in Africa again. But, but this is a great country and so we're super happy to be here, grateful for it. Um, but the place that I grew up in is, is a little different. It's a lot different, actually. Rhiannon and my wife had the privilege of going with me to South Africa back in 2005. It was her only, the only time she went. Um, and it was neat to have her see it because much of, she actually said it while we were there too. She said, I heard everything you said and I understood it, but I didn't really get it. Now I get it. And that's just how it is with some things. You can have a mental understanding, but until you see it, you don't really, you can't experience it until you experience it. Um, and while she was there, um, she got to see the southern hemisphere's uh, night sky, which is a lot different than the northern. There is a very clear, on the nights that it's clear, a very clear Milky Way that stretches across the sky. You can see it, a line that's just beautiful, and the stars are incredible, and, and uh, on a full moon, it, you know, the, the moon shadow, you all know the song Moon Shadow, well, talk about a shadow. You can see a clear shadow because you can just about, I mean, it looks like almost daylight on a clear night. The funny thing, though, and the odd thing about it is Africa can be very dark on a not clear night. Um, we had some friends. I, I grew up predominantly in a town, in a city, um, first world, much, much like here. It would look more or less the same. However, um, we had many, many friends who lived on farms and out in the bushes and out in the fields and stuff like that. My dad had a friend that, was partic that had a farm about three hours' drive from where we lived, um, and, and it was a, a um, I don't know what the right word is for it here in America, but we used to call them hunting farms. In other words, he had, it was a farm, it was a piece of property, but he didn't farm it. He had animals live on it. Um, and he would allow certain people to come hunt on it occasionally. Yes, we grew up as hunters. Um, I grew up as a hunter. My dad was a hunter. That actually was um, how we provided for meat for at least six months of the year. <laughs> that was our way of eating. Um, growing up, too, I'll throw this quick story in here as well. Growing up, I uh, was not allowed to shoot anything unless you eat it. That's the rule. That's how it works. Well, me and my cousin, when we were younger, uh, went out shooting some birds one time with, with pellet guns, basically, and we, and we killed a few, a few doves or something like that, pigeons, a few pigeons, and um, proudly presented them to my dad and my grandfather. 
And their response was, that's wonderful, but this is your dinner now. You're going to have to go cook it and eat it. And which to which my response was, that's fine. Would you go ahead and clean it for me, Dad? Well, the answer was no. You killed it, you clean it, you cook it, you eat it. So it was um, a very miserable experience, to say the least. <laughs> the cleaning was not so bad, but the cooking, being my cousin, being at the time I must have been about six or so, five or six years old, I had no clue what we were doing. So yes, we made a fire in the backyard and threw the birds in the fire. And once we thought they were all right, we took them out and tried to eat them. And um, to, till today, I remember that miserable experience very much so. <laughs> it was not fun. Um, I continued to shoot birds. Um, being, being the naughty child that I was, I did not always eat them, no, but I also was wise enough to not present them to my father. So um, we got away with it for a little while. But yes, growing up, we were hunters, and, and we went to this farm of my, my dad's friend um, one night, and we got there, and it, was, it would have, first of all, been a new moon, so even so, there wasn't much of a moon, but the, apart from that, it was a cloudy night. Um, and I must have been about 12 or 13, somewhere at that age. And they had a, a cabin, if you want to call it that, that we, that we stayed in. Um, and I remember being in that cabin the first night, thinking to myself, I'm having a really hard time. It was me and my dad, just the two of us. But I was starting to get pretty scared and having a really hard time. This was where my psychological problems started. Because I realized that I could not see my hand in front of my face. Literally, I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. And, and, and I was left with this dilemma, pondering this dilemma. How do I know then if I can't see whether or not my eyes are open or closed? If, it, if I can tell no difference, how do I know whether my eyes are open and closed? I mean, I think my eyes are closed because I feel the muscles pulling. And then I open my eyes, doing, letting the muscles do what they normally do. And so I assume that I'm opening my eyes and closing my eyes and opening my eyes, but I can't see. I have no, there's no difference in what things look like. So now here's the problem. If I don't know whether my eyes are open or closed, how would I know whether or not I'm asleep? And how would I be able to sleep if my eyes stay open all night? I know. You, <laughs> you, you'll, you'll realize the dilemma that a 13-year-old has later this afternoon. It'll click and you'll go, oh, poor kid. But... Um, but it was dark. It was super, super dark. Another time, not, not too much longer after that, we were again at another friend's farm. And, and, uh, and one night we went out. My, my dad wanted to go do some night shooting, night hunting. Um, so we hopped in his vehicle. I do not remember what it was. It was probably something along the lines of a ran, uh, Land Rover or, or something like that. And we, we went driving and we came to a place where there was a gate, uh, fences and gates, and that's common um, in the field as well. So my dad asked me to get out and open the gate so that they can drive through to the next piece of property. Um, and so I did, and then he said, well, you know what, just wait here at the gate, close the gate, and wait here till we come back. Close the gate because we don't want whatever's in this field to get into that field or vice versa. We don't want, so we can't leave the gate open, but we're going to come back around. When we come back around, you can open the gate for us again, and then you can hop in. So um, 
in retrospect, why I couldn't just hop in the car, drive with them, and when they come back, hop out of the vehicle again. Um, I don't really know how much time that actually saved. So my thoughts were that I'm assuming, though, they, though it wasn't told to me this, but I'm assuming they probably wanted to have some time to just discuss some things that a 13 or 14-year-old boy didn't need to be a part of, I'm assuming. Um, uh, I was a close friend of my dad's, and so, so I just assumed they didn't want me around for a little bit. Uh, but nevertheless, there I stood by the fence, opened the gate, they drive through and close the gate, and there I stand, and I see the vehicle driving away, and the lights are getting dimmer, and after a while, there are no more lights, and I can no longer hear the roar of the engine. And I'm standing in the, in the dark, 11 o'clock at night, in, in the middle of Africa, thinking to myself, there's something wrong with this picture. Um, I'm not very comfortable. All of a sudden, I became aware of all the sounds around me. Um, it's the sounds of, of howling and, and barking, you know, uh, laughing of hyenas in the way, way far distance. Now, at night, that travels far, so they were probably five miles away from me. Nevertheless, I could hear them, and I could hear the jackals, and, and I was just thinking to myself, this is not a very comfortable place to be right now. I'm actually not very happy with my dad at all. Um, but they came back around after a while. I don't have any idea how long it was, but it was longer than what I wanted it to be. But after a while, I saw the lights appear on the, in the distance again, and pretty soon they were there, and I got in the car, and all was well. Um, another time, this is, it goes back uh, to a different scenario that we were in. My whole family went out that time, as a matter of fact, me and my mom and, and my two sisters and my dad, we were in a little cabin again, sleeping at night. And that night, my mom had a dream that somebody was strangling her to death, a nightmare. What was funny about the scenario was at that time, my, my sister, my older sister, had woken up and needed to go to the bathroom, but due to the lighting situation, she wanted to wake up my mom to get a light from her, um, maybe a flashlight or something. So she kneeled, leaned over my mom and started shaking her, with her hands on her shoulder to wake her up. At this point, my mom did wake up, but she was in the middle of a dream where she was believing she was getting strangled by someone. So as my mom woke up, she realized that she's no longer dreaming, but not quite coherent and aware of the situation, yet uh, thought somebody was really trying to kill her and started screaming at the top of her lungs. She was screaming, ah, they're killing me, they're killing me. She yelled it, not for guns. Um, and of course, this scared my poor sister half to death as well, at which point she started screaming, no, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me. So the two of them were screaming like crazy, and of course all of us were awake. Uh, it took a little minute or two, but my father finally got a light on, and at that point all of us were sitting there with eyes about the big as, as big as, you know, we look like owls, uh, terrified out of our mind for what just happened. Now my dad carried in South Africa, it's mandatory, you carry a, a nine millimeter with you everywhere you go, and he did. Um, but this was also a hunting trip, so there were other rifles and knives and stuff in the, in the cabin as well. And to tell you the honest truth, how nobody got shot that night is very surprising to me. <laughs> Proof of the grace of God. But yes, uh, finally things settled down. I didn't think I'll ever sleep again. Um, and having said that, I think me and my two sisters all still sleep with nightlights on. Uh, but I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to go through our scripture that we just read here. I'm going to go a little bit backwards, if that's okay with you. 
Um, that's kind of how my mind works. But I want to start with the verses between 13 and 16, which, in which he speaks of how God created us. And this is such an important thing to recognize and realize. God created us, each one of us. He made us. He is a creator. And, and I'm a little bit on a soapbox right now, so forgive me for this. But back in the 80s, there was a band by the name of David and the Giants, a Christian recording act that recorded a lot of songs. And, and one of their songs, uh, if any of you know it, you might remember it. Um, you might not remember it, but they had a song called Evolution is Pollution. Um, and this is an incredible truth. Um, and this is something that disturbs me greatly. The fact that in today's day and age, evolution is just part of our accepted culture. It has infiltrated the schools to the point where it's not taught as a theory anymore. Darwin and his theory is not presented as a theory, but as fact. Um, I see it in the schoolwork that my kids bring home. And it really is offensive to me, and it's really sad, because that is such a big deal of what is going on and going wrong in our world today. God made us. He designed us. And if anybody ever brings up the concept of a Big Bang or that we all came from some amoeba that crawled out of a soup and then became a monkey, I'm not a monkey's offspring, and neither are you. And this is a big deal. I feel like we need to speak up against this more often in love and kindness, and we'll get to that in a minute. But God made us. The evidence is clear. As a matter of fact, all science supports it. Any scientist that's worth his salt would admit that, yes, there has to be an intelligent designer. If you look at the way that things are, it must have been designed. It couldn't have happened by chance. Chance does not allow for the complexities of who we are. If you look at everything the way that it is, if, if we came from monkeys, then why are there still monkeys? Now, again, of course, this, the argument would be, well, things evolve at different times. If that's the truth, then even though we've evolved, then that amoeba or that single-celled organism that scrolled, crawled out of the soup of, of prehistoric world should still be crawling out today to some extent. And there should not be a missing link. Not only is there a missing link in the fossils, and a very, uh, if you don't know anything about it, the Cambrian explosion is an example of that, uh, shows that, that there was all of a sudden complex life. It didn't evolve slowly as the tree of life, which Darwin would, ex would use to explain where we come from. His doesn't hold up against the Cambrian explosion. And if you think about it, not only would there be not a missing link in the fossils, but there actually would have not been a missing link in today's day and age. So either everything evolved together or everything is in different stages of evolving. And if there's everything is in different stages of evolving, then we should have that gap in between two of evolution currently. So there should be cavemen, not just on Geico commercials. Um, but there's not. And that's because it didn't happen that way. There's also the Miller and, uh, I'm not sure how to say his name, Uray, Miller and Uray uh, experiment from 1952 that was conducted in which they said, no, look, life can come from somewhere. If we have early earth conditions and we put electricity to it and all this kind of stuff, 
Well, he got lucky and got some amoebo acids to form at the bottom of the vase. And that was, has been, in many ways, a, a major breakthrough for the concept of evolution. But it's not, because that's still not life. It's just some of the building blocks that, that make life. Um, and to arrange them in order, the odds are stacked so against it. The odds, there's so many zeros in the number that I can't remember the number, so I can't tell you what it is. But I would be happy if you went and looked it up because you would be shocked what the odds are for life to exist, even if you have all the ingredients. So billions and billions of years still don't add up. Not only did his, was his... Um, his experiment, in my opinion, kind of a waste of time. But on top of that, his experiment has also been disproved, and all of science, uh, all the scientists agree that that is no longer valid because he did not even have the proper gases that would have been present in early prehistoric Earth if, if we believed in billions and millions of years ago. Um, not even that holds true. Uh, all the scientists agree that the makeup of gases of that time, if we look at the rocks and what's in them now, would not have been what he assumed them to have been. And like I said, this is kind of globally accepted by all the different scientists. There is so much, so much research done on this, this that I could probably speak to you guys for the next six months on this matter, naming the scientists, naming the facts that prove to an intelligent creator as opposed to the concept of evolution, the Big Bang, and all that. But I also want to encourage you, just look it up for yourself a little bit. Do a little bit of research if you feel inadequate to have that conversation with someone. Um, but you know, it's funny because there's a great movie, if you haven't watched it, uh, it's called Intelligence Ex uh, Expelled. Um, Intelligence, uh, the, the movie's called Expelled, but there's a subtitle, and I forget what it is as I'm trying to speak to you. Um, and it was made by Ben Stein. Uh, please watch it if you get a chance. Um, it's actually hard to find now because the media doesn't want us to watch stuff like this, but you can still find it. It's still out there. It's called Expelled. Um, no Intelligence Allowed. There we go, sorry. Expelled, the movie's called Expelled, No Intelligence Allowed. Also, many of you have heard of Lee Strobel. Um, he has a case for a creator. It's a beautiful book, a wonderful book. He did a lot. He's got a lot of facts in there, and it's really neat to see. But it's it's so important for us to realize that we came from a creator, an intelligent designer. And it's so funny because in Ben Stein's movie as well, he talks about these. He talks to these scientists that are really revered in the in the evolution uh, society, and. And it's really interesting because the argument always goes back to, well, where did it start? And the argument is, well, there was a big bang. And, and I'm okay with, uh, I can accept any and everything after that point, but where did that come from? <laughs> where did the matter that exploded come from? And, and it's so funny because all the scientists Ben Stein spoke to could not answer that question. Um, to bring the question a little further down the line, where did life come from? The answers that some of them gave was absolutely ridiculous. Um, not being able to, ex refusing to accept the fact that there's a God and refusing to accept the fact that this is by intelligent design, pressuring the scientist over and over again to say, where did life come from? Where did it come from? Um, he finally said, well, I don't know, but maybe they were, we, it was brought here by aliens. This was supposedly an intelligent 
adult with, a, with PhD degrees and all that kind of stuff that answered that way. Maybe it was brought here by aliens. So that would question me, of course, to think, well, wouldn't that alien be our God then? And how did that alien come to exist? Um, another said for life, well, it grew on the back of crystals. That's very interesting. <laughs> Where did the crystals come from? Having said all of that, it comes down to this again. If you were going to believe in the fact that there was something which you have to, that there was something, even our world, if it came out of a big bang, it came out of some sort of mass, right? So you have to believe in something eternal, a past existing. So the faith that is needed to believe in a mass of existence as opposed to a God is equal. It's the same amount of faith that is required to believe in something because that thing we cannot define its beginning. It is eternal. It has eternally existed. But then from that point on, how much harder is it to believe that that eternal existence has by happenstance brought us to where we are today or to just say that eternal existence, who is God, was actually intelligent enough to design us? That actually makes sense. That actually is easier to believe. So at the end of the day, our faith is actually less faith. Or I should say, not so blind a faith as what anybody who wants to believe in evolution has to have. If you have that much faith that you can believe in that, man, you have enough faith to believe in God. And if you would put that faith towards God, he will show himself powerfully to you. Now, it's really important to me again, and I want to come back to this point real quick. <clears throat> if God made us, because he, then he is an intelligent designer. And the word says that he knitted us together in, in the depth of our mother's womb. Before we even knew, he made us. This is crucial for today and today's problem that we have with all this gender confusion and all that. I'm not going to get on that for too long because I know that's a big, another big topic. But really, how can we not expect there to be confusion how can we not expect kids today to not know what they are, even though science makes it very clear there's an X and a Y chromosome, and you're born with one of them? You're, you are. It's just as simple as that. Now, that doesn't mean that men can't be a little bit feminine, or at least as, let me rephrase that and say, I think our society has done a horrible job at presenting how we ought to live. Men are not supposed to be men as we see it in history, necessarily. Um, you know, the interesting thing is I'm, I'm, I'm an artist, and so I have a definite feminine side, my, but I'm also, I can be a, a, a real jerk of a man sometimes as well. So I can be manly, but I can be very feminine as well. I have appreciation for the beautiful, finer things in life, like flowers. You know, the interesting thing is God made us after us, and when he made us, he actually says it in the Word. He says, look at how I've dressed the flowers. So God is in the fashion designing business. Um, you know, he's also a florist. God made the forests and all the fields and all the beautiful flowers, so God is a florist. So can a man have an appreciation for the finer things in life? Yes. And does that mean that we all have to be manly? No, all the men. Or can a woman not have some manly traits? Can a woman not feel excited about sports and, and, and exciting things? Yes, they can. Um, but we are what we are because God made us that way. And if we can accept that, 
it's easy to accept when we realize that we were created that way. Our designer made us that way. But how hard is it to accept that if you believe that by chance we all just came about? And yes, by chance I happen to be born as a man, but that's not who I feel like I am on the inside. Um, that makes sense. So there's no need to get mad at the, the cross-gender <laughs> society. We, we, we don't need to get mad at them. It's not an argument against them. Who we do need to get mad at are the authorities who force evolution down our children's throats and teach it in schools as fact when it's not. Who we do need to get mad at is, is the church who has not loved people who struggle with identity but instead called them evil and stupid they're not evil and they're not stupid. They're just children who are confused. We could maybe get a little bit mad at the parents, too, who allow little boys and little... When I was a boy, I had interest in everything. Cars and guns, yes, but also in dolls. When my sisters played dolls, I wanted to play dolls with them. That didn't make me a girl. That just made me a child who was curious. But these parents who force... who don't teach their children... And, and again, half of them are so confused themselves, it doesn't, we can't really blame them. But if we would start teaching again that we were created by God, intelligently designed to be what we are, then we can embrace who we are and be who we are, and children can learn that. And this is, this is a big deal to me, it really is, because it's sad. It's sad to now see children that have grown up who were born one sex, grew up to live as another, and now in their adulthood say, admit and say, I wish my parents would have stopped me before I went down this path. This is not who I am. This is not who I wanted to be. But I've lived for so long this way. And it's amazing to hear those testimonies too. If you don't believe me, please look them up. You'll find them people who admit that if, if some person would have just spoken truth into my life as a child, and I think that's what we need to do with love and kindness, not judging them, not saying you're evil. They're not evil, they're just confused. And again, what chance did they have considering what the media forces down their, their throats? And, and schools teach, even though it's theory, and even though the intelligent scientific community agrees that that doesn't make a lot of sense, still... Schools teach evolution. Please speak out against it. Let's stop this. Let's show love to people who are confused. Let's show them that they are accepted for who they are in Christ. And, and I want you to know that you are as well. In the dark, moving on, I'm going I'm to get off that soapbox now. I spent way too much time on that, but thanks for indulging me. Um, in, in verses 7 through 12, we read how God is with us everywhere. And the, and the psalmist here says he can't hide from God. He can't go in the dark. And those ridiculous stories I told you at the beginning were not for naught. Um, you know, in those times when I was in that room wondering if my eyes are closed or, or shut, I still had a certain level of peace. For a minute there, I had a, a mental breakdown, I think, in my, in my mind. I was, I was struggling with the concept. But then I realized my dad is in the room with me. And I was able to go to sleep. In the morning when I woke up, all of a sudden I saw the sun shining and I realized, hey, I actually slept all night. How wonderful was that? I was at peace because I knew my dad was there. When I was standing at the gate, I was not happy with my dad for the moment, but my hope and my peace at that time was 
In a few minutes, they'll be right back. So I'm okay. All I got to do is survive for a few minutes because my dad is coming back. God sees us in the dark. And I want to encourage you with that this, this morning. No matter how dark it is around us, no matter where we go, our designer is not just a designer that threw us out there and said, let's see what happens with this experiment. It's not an experiment. We are not an experiment for God. We are his children whom he loves. He carefully knitted us together. He didn't throw us together. He very intricately designed us, very purposefully made us. And now he is with us. He sees us, our every thought. And this should hurt your brain a little bit if you think about it because it does, the psalmist says that. He says, right, it's too high, too lofty for me to even understand. My brain hurts when I think about this. But God loves us as we are. And this is a marvelous thing. God is outside of time. So when God's made you, he designed you, but your whole life was in front of him at that moment. At that moment, he knew the day you would die. He knew every word you would say. That's what the scripture says as well. This psalm says he knows our every thought, our every... He knows what you're going to say, but he also doesn't only know what you're going to say. He knows what you're thinking and decide not to say sometimes. And thanks for doing that sometimes. (laughs) But yes, our God knows our thoughts. He sees the deepest parts of us. And he knows it all. So my last point is that God is with us and that he is for us. If God, if you've ever experienced the love of God, for you it was a momentary thing. It was, for me it was. One day I felt the love of God and then the next day I don't feel it. And I think, you know, well, because of that dumb thing that I thought or that dumb thing that I said or did, now God's love is no longer the same. But that's not the truth. See, God is not bound to time. God did not wake up this morning and say, oh, Conrad, I love you. And then on my way here, as I started driving and started thinking things I shouldn't think, he said, oh, here we go, Conrad. It's a little less now. And then by tonight, at the end of the day, when I've lived my life, he goes, oh, uh, Bible says my mercies are new in the morning, so tomorrow we'll see how I feel about you. But right now, no. That's not how God is. God is not surprised by our, by our daily walk. Every sin that you've committed and every sin that you're going to commit has already appeared before God. He already knows it. And if he already saw all of that and at one point showed you the love that he has for you, then you can be confident to know that that love is equal always. It never changes. And I need to know that because I do some dumb things every now and then. And I have a tendency to want to hide from God sometimes, like the psalmist says in the psalm. Sometimes I wonder, which country can I move to to get out of your sight, God? I know you don't want to see me right now. But that's not the truth. That's the lie that I'm buying into. The truth is God wants to see me right now. Right after I mess up, he still wants me to come to him and just talk to him. And he invites me in. Yes, asking forgiveness is good. (laughs) It's the right thing to do. Admitting that I'm wrong is good. This is not a license to sin. But despite my brokenness, I can know God loves me and is calling me into his presence. And this morning I want to think, you know, I was blessed with a lovely family. I love my family very much. Um, We've had our difficulties, but I'm very grateful for them. And, And I actually married into a wonderful family as well. I really love my wife's family, her sisters, and 
her dad and, and, and all their and all their family. Um, it's amazing to me that I have the family that I have. And honestly, I can say that my greatest pleasure in life are the times that I spend with them. And I think that that's true for most of you as well. It might only be one person, but I think if you look in the greatest moments of your life, there's one person that you were with, at least, I hope and pray that that's the case. Um, but that's all that matters to me. For me, the best thing is at Christmas time when we get together at Thanksgiving time, just to be with my family. And for no other reason but to be with them. When they're there with me, we hang out together and we have a lovely time. Um, sometimes we do fun stuff. Sometimes we go to exciting places and do things. And sometimes we don't. But I'm not excited about them coming to visit us. I'm not exciting about go, excited about going visiting them for the sake of what we're going to do together. I'm excited for being together. That is just the most wonderful times for me, just to hang out together after dinner, sit around and talk and whatever, whatever we talk about. Sometimes it's stupid things, sometimes it's movies, sometimes it's intelligent things. That doesn't happen as often as it probably should, but nevertheless, just being together, that is the most wonderful thing. And at the end of the day, we have a great designer who designed us intelligently and made us and loves us so much, but, but the, the question has to arise at some point or another, well, but why? Why did he make us? Why did he design us the way he did? And if I read scripture right, and maybe I don't, but it seems to me that it all comes down to this one thing, that he wants to be with us. Because he wants to hang out with us. He wants us to enjoy him for who he is. And I want to encourage you with this this morning. God wants to be with you. He is with you in the dark. He knows where you are. He knows your every thought. And the funny thing is, that does not turn him off. That doesn't turn him away. That makes him want to be with you more. And I hope that you can remember a time that you were with family or friends and just had a wonderful time. And I hope that you sometimes long for that. But if you do, I hope that you realize that that longing that you have right there to the tenth degree, even more, is how God feels about you. He just wants to hang out with you. He just wants you to hang out with him. He just wants you to become aware of his presence. And whether that is, and I do suggest that it is in prayer sometimes, in scripture reading, in looking into what he wrote for us and and studying his word and praying fervently on your knees before the God of the universe. But that's not the only times he wants to be with you or the only way. He also wants to be with you when you're out on the river, when you're fishing, when you're listening to your favorite Beatles tune from back in the day. Can God do that? Yes, he can. He gave them their talents as well, you know. So when you're listening to your favorite movie, when you're, when you're sitting looking at the birds outside your window, when you're in the field or when you're at work with other people and amazed at how intelligent they can be sometimes, in those moments God is there with you as well and he's saying, I hope you see me in it all. I hope you are present with me as you are present in the moment that you are because that's all I want from you. I want you to be with me. God is with you. Be encouraged by that. And be challenged to spend more time with God. God is with you. Now you be with God. And I pray that you will this afternoon as you go from here. Be so aware of his presence. 
Be so aware of his design. Be so aware of his kindness. And then let's reflect that to the people around us. Thank you for letting me speak. I appreciate that none of you threw anything at me. That was very kind of you.